Hi everyone, welcome to the next episode of Future Focus CXOs. Today I have a very exciting guest, Tony Clark. Recently he was the SVP of Technologies at Collier. And without further delay, let me welcome Tony to the podcast. Hi Tony. Hi Jay. Uh, can you please introduce yourself, talk about your background and we will get into some questions. Sure. So as you said, Jay, I was most recently Senior Vice President of Technology and Innovation for Colliers in the commercial mm -hmm. real estate. I've had a career with really a number of great companies, such as AT&T, Cox Enterprises, and mm -hmm. Iron Mountain. I've worked in various roles across architecture, development, all the different facets of IT, and mm -hmm. progressively I've been given more responsibility as my career has progressed. I've worked at the intersection of business and technology, helping companies make the transition as technology has evolved. And it's also mm -hmm. technology has become more impactful to the business. So you hear the term digital transformation a lot. I think what's becoming more appropriate is really business transformation because mm -hmm. effectively use technology, the business has to be engaged and it needs to be integrated deeply into the operating model of the company. Mm -hmm. So that's where I really enjoy working, really bringing innovation bringing new opportunities, and also really working with teams. I have a passion mm -hmm. for helping teams to become more effective, really working with people to be the best that they can be, both personally and professionally. So it's something that I've benefited from over the years through having strong mentors in my professional mm -hmm. and personal life. and something I believe in strongly. So that's a little snippet of my career. Great. So you have a very distinguished, nice career path, right? A lot of people aspire to get where you are. So can you share some of your key milestones and some of the things that you felt you did over and above out of the conventional job everybody does to reach where you are? Yeah, I've definitely had a lot of help along the way in my career. And I think one of the key things that I mentioned is really around having mentors, having people that you can pattern yourself after that will inspire you, that will give you energy and confidence to take risk. So certainly that's been something that's helped me along the way. Started as a developer with mm -hmm. AT&T. I was mm -hmm. fortunate to start with a really good company that had a very structured onboarding for people to come into the company. I benefited mm -hmm. a lot from training on not only how to be an effective engineer, but how to be an effective communicator and member of the corporate culture. I had to mention some mentors. I had one person in that particular, Dan Regal was his name. Mm -hmm. I don't think he was an architect in title, but he was an architect in terms of practice. So he was a big inspiration for me. Mm -hmm. I was promoted into an enterprise architect role. And at the time, I remember they were asking me a lot of questions that I really didn't have the answers to as an architect. I really didn't know the full job of what that even meant. And they didn't yes. know it, but they knew that they needed somebody to start tackling some of these bigger issues, to start mm -hmm. framing uh, building blocks that you need to be composed and brought together to take on larger business problems. And so that was something I found that I was good at. And also, I'm the son of a football coach. My father was a football coach. I'd seen him as a leader, and he inspired me quite a bit in terms of how he interacted with players to motivate and bring out the best. And so I found myself naturally emulating some of his life lessons as I led technical teams. Found mm -hmm. I liked leading and I wanted to do it full time. So at some point I said, I think it's time for me to take on a management leadership role full time as in mm -hmm. moving to, into management from an individual contributor. I've ridden up the ranks, so I moved into management 
shifted to Cox Enterprises. So I think having those people to inspire you, to give you confidence, to let you see that you can take risks and there's a way to be successful and then taking those risks. I actually left AT&T, went to Cox, worked at Cox mm. for 13 years, but that shift of companies was also a major step for me. Cox was a great company. I learned quite a number of things there. Sorry, if I interject here, if I recall from our last conversation, you did mention that at Cox, right, you really instrumented the architecture approach because it was a fast growing company. And what I have seen with a lot of our customers also that whenever the company is fast growing, they build without having enough time to architect. So I reach a point saying that, oh my God, now I cannot scale any further. So you avoided Cox getting there. And can you talk about that experience? Yeah, sure. So as I mentioned at TNT, I have become an architect, various different architectural roles. We implemented a number of processes there to provide guardrails and really pre-built solution sets for certain types of business problems to help the mm -hmm. company grow in a safe way, in a way that will mm -hmm. build, integrate together successfully. And so I saw the need at Cox Enterprises for that same type of an approach. I successfully started the shared services engineering and development organization for Cox Enterprises. So we had built a 50,000 person internal company portal for employees. We built a number of self-service capabilities across multiple areas of the business. And that was going really well. But what we're finding is that we wanted to promote even further, go take on bigger challenges. We also wanted to make sure that solutions had the proper security. And then we also not only were building for today, but we're looking ahead for tomorrow. That required principles of architecture to really do effectively. And so mm -hmm. I went to the CIO and I went to Greg and said, you know, what I really believe that we should do is to start an enterprise architecture function. I'd like to leave mm -hmm. my role as leading the development organization and start this. And so he gave me the opportunity to do. Mm -hmm. And so we did a couple of different things. One is we started one for Cox Enterprises, that a governance process and a set of domain teams that controlled and managed all the technology lifecycle for each of the major technologies that we use. But we also reached out to the subsidiaries and brought them into the mm -hmm. process. And so okay. we started to take advantage of learning for the different subsidiaries to look for what opportunities to share and work together. One of the major things we did at Cox was we built a private cloud for the company. Mm -hmm. So it was a shared service that was available to each of the Cox companies and allowed them to take advantage of some of the capabilities of cloud, but doing it securely and leveraging our data center capabilities with a private cloud capability. So that was one of the first major benefits that we saw from having that architecture focus and reaching beyond just the parent company, but into each of the subsidiaries. And so that momentum carried on even as I left the company eventually to go to Iron Mountain. And as they started to find more and more opportunities for pulling some of the services into the core, doing mm -hmm. it as, as some companies such as AutoTrader and, and others started to mature and wanted to really take advantage of the scale of the business. And you have a very unique blend of experience in terms of being an architect at the same time, being a leader who owns and delivers things. And I have a couple of questions into that. You did speak about creating a private cloud and many companies are trying to move their applications to cloud. Many of them typically are not re-architecting them as a cloud native architecture. So the question I have is, can companies truly build a product innovation and product delivery truly on a cloud-based native architecture with agile methodologies? And if they oh. can, what are some of the steps in which they should do this? 
Yeah, cloud is a huge accelerator for innovation and for product-based development. I think one of the great benefits of cloud is the ability to cut out the life cycle that's required for procuring infrastructure, standing it up, mm. hardening it, scaling capacity. Scaling it up. You know, it's, mm. To do that well and to do that securely is something that most companies are not able to do as well as a cloud environment can do so. Even talking about infrastructure as a service. So if you're doing development, you certainly infrastructure as a service has changed the whole paradigm of what product development even is like. You mentioned agile. And agile is really based upon really doing things in very concentrated, smaller increments. Not necessarily have looking as far ahead in terms of your requirements and the solution, but doing it in a way that you can grow and learn as you go forward effectively. And it's about a lot of other things beyond that. But cloud works hand in hand with agile. And then you add that to the product side, you can define a product and build it in those smart increments and then scale the infrastructure as you need it. But if you don't need it and you need to do a course correction, you have the flexibility to do. And then there's also just a whole accelerated pace of innovation that you can take advantage of by having the cloud native set of services available to you. So then you go and you step up the stack into platform as a service or applications as a service. And suddenly you've got this rich mix of building blocks that you can focus your business upon. So for me, the cloud has many pluses and advantages. The challenges are that comes at a price. And so many companies now you hear talk about FinOps and the whole notion of you know, how do I keep track of the cost? How do I manage my spend effectively? How do I look at turning off capacity that I don't need on the cloud and being effective in its use? And frankly, for some companies and some workloads, moving some of that work back down to the data center, but in the next generation version of what we started for private cloud, you're going to find like with companies like Hewlett Packard and GreenLake or others that are building these platforms where they can implement and have some of the flexibility for some of the benefits you get of private cloud but with reduced management overhead and improved costs for certain workloads. So some companies are moving to a hybrid model effectively. And I think that's mm-hmm. something that the cloud has driven those economies into the whole process that just weren't there before. Wow. So many good insights. If I can paraphrase and summarize, as I remember is one, you said cloud definitely provides you tremendous amount of agility and speed to quickly build your products, two prototypes, two MVPs go to market, do the course correction based on how the feedback you are getting. Definitely the challenges you said were it mounts up, right? The cost keeps on going up and managing the cost is one of the challenges that everybody faces. And some of the good approaches you have seen is having a hybrid between a private and a public club. So that can optimize the cost at the same time, keep giving you the advantages of using cloud. Yeah, there's a number of techniques. And I think you have to look at the total cost of ownership, the mm-hmm. overall business problem you're trying to solve and not get too myopic on just one element of cost. If you go into cloud, you should have an understanding of not just your development needs, but also your runtime needs, ultimately your scale, and then how much of your workloads are going to traverse that boundary between other entities or your local entities in the cloud. One thing, though, you mentioned to go back to your question on having worked as an architect and worked as an engineer and worked now as more senior and executive leader. And Mm -hmm. I definitely have had the opportunity to have some breadth in my career, and I've enjoyed that. 
But I think partly is around ultimately being able to work at higher levels of abstraction and really to not have to understand everything. As an architect, you know, you don't necessarily have visibility into every piece of the solution underneath what you're solving for as much as you do as a developer. So you have to be comfortable in working more with building blocks and working through others. Likewise, as an executive leader, you have to have that same sort of mentality where you can effectively delegate work to your team, mm. where you can trust and have the right people on the team and be able to give up on certain things. I know I've worked for someone that was a really great project manager. And he said that when he moved into a role as the VP of the department and the organization, he had his whiteboard taken out of his office. And I said, <laughs> why don't you have the whiteboard taken out of your office? He said, well, I know that if I have that whiteboard there, when my team comes in, I'm going to go in and try to start solving problems. For them, <laughs> and I'm going to get on that whiteboard. And he Absolutely. Said, Great point. So, so sometimes you've got to be willing to give things up and trust your team and what your job has really changed as a leader. So I've had to also learn to not only learn new things, but also learn how to give certain things up along the way. I think you stole my question because I was going to ask you with so much of management experience, how do you delegate, right? What are the initiative strategies you have made to build good teams? Because teams win. Individuals don't, we know that. And every success has a very high performing team. So you stole that question, but if you have some more points to that, definitely would love to hear that. Yeah, definitely learning to delegate was something that I'm very fortunate to have had actually some formal training in that. I went to a, a really class that impacted me quite a bit at Cox on technical management. And it was when they were trying out with some of the folks from the subsidiaries. And some things really stuck with me there, as well as things that I had solved through other people that I aspire to and look pattern my career after. Part of that is really establishing clear understanding with the person that you're delegating to and yourself and what success looks like. Success is not necessarily to do things the way you would unnecessarily do them, but success is based upon what's the criteria for success, how we're going to measure it, how we're going to communicate on status, how we're going to deal with change. As far as the actual mechanical or the technical aspects of how that job is done, that's on them. So you hire people for their abilities, their skills. They should be able to get to from point A to point Z through a path. And I shouldn't have to be managing that process. We should agree on when are we going to check in on results? How do we know that this is good? How can I make you successful? How can I get rid of obstacles along the way? That's really my job. And as an early and as a young manager, it's tempting to get to somewhat meddle in the process more than you should. You may take away learnings from your team. They need to sometimes sweat the details to grow. And then is your time best spent holding the hand of this person when they really don't need that versus focused on something else that really does need your attention? It's again, that give and, and give up mindset and really as to know where your team needs you the most. Mm -hmm where you need to be. Okay. Great insights. I think the follow-up question comes to my mind is when COVID came in, it disturbed everything. And specifically what we are talking about is making a team work. So as a CXO, what strategies did you use? What did you see and how did you cope up with that situation? And what are some of the learnings that you have or some of the practices you implemented you want to carry forward? Some of them you don't want to. Can you talk about them? Yeah, I can talk some about that. I, I know for me, COVID was something that spanned two companies I was at. One was Iron mm -hmm. Mountain, 
And luckily at Iron Mountain, one thing that really helped our situation was it was a very mobile workforce already. There was a term actually called mobile mountaineers. And so they had a very large work from home practice. They had sold certain real estate assets and really promoted aggressively remote work. And so that was an advantage for me. I had a global team. We were used to working remotely. So for us, we were able to work very effectively. I shifted my roles over to Collier's where I became a SVP of the U.S. business, owning the product teams. A lot of the teams there, some of them were working remote already, but they were really having a struggle because of just some of the belt tightening that had to be done for COVID. The team had some backfills, some hires were put on hold. There were some furloughs. People were wearing multiple hats in terms of the roles they were doing. And so the biggest impact for me during the COVID was really to take that team and find mm -hmm. a way to make them effective during a time where we were still working very much remote, but how do we establish a, a shared culture? How do we budget? And as we need to scale up from COVID, how do we effectively plan for the work and the roles that we needed? And then also, what does the organization structure look like for the future? And then how do we understand where the business really needs us to go? So a lot of my challenges were not necessarily just COVID challenges. They were more coming into a new role with a team that had shrunk and had trouble keeping up to pace with the business needs during the time of COVID. But then how do you get that team healthy? And where do you prioritize your time coming out of that? And so for me, it was a matter of coming into the new role. I spent a lot of time with the individuals, with the team. We did a lot on teams and used that as an effective tool for us to share information, to create channels where employees could communicate and share with each other, mm -hmm. to really promote a culture of remote work, but of unity, where we mm -hmm. did a lot more around team building, regular sessions with the team. We had off-site sessions that were virtual uh, so that we had some fun times together during that period of time. So we did a lot of things around making the virtual environment very conducive towards building a, a new culture and, and one where people really wanted to work together and were mutually accountable to each other. But I think for me, the biggest thing about that time was really helping the team understand what the purpose was of the organization and making sure that communication was aligned and understood. Where am I as an individual contributing to the success of the team? Where am I as an individual contributing to the success of what we need to get done this year? And what were the goals of the business and how does my work contribute back to that? So those were three things that mm -hmm. were very important. And so okay. the big thing is how do you communicate that and keep that front of mind in a remote only world? And so that was some of the challenges that we had and some things that we effectively overcame. Great. Okay. Great insights. I think the last question comes to my mind is a lot of people want to get where you are. Definitely you shared very good insights on your career and strategies and other stuff, but what would be an advice you would give to the rising CXOs, if I may? I think first off, I'll just repeat what I've said before. Surround yourself with those that you can learn from. And those that give you energy, right? Stay away from people that pull away from your energy. Have people that can sharpen you and that can stretch you, right? To be aspiring to surround yourself with the best caliber people. That includes people from the business that are from other areas that will give you insights that you may not get from within your group. So reach out inside the company, outside the company, 
always be building your network of advisors, your own cabinet that will go and help you be the best that you can be. Two is you're not going to be successful if you can't communicate. Communication is the most critical skill, I think, for mm -hmm. an executive. You constantly are communicating whether you know it or not through the way you act, through your body language. And it's critical for your team, for your internal customers, your external customers. Communication is important. And so thinking about how you're communicating, being proactive about that is really critical. And something I think for some technical leaders, they struggle with you know, as far as uh, they may be comfortable in one-on-one, but they may not be comfortable presenting to a group, or they may be comfortable doing something through LinkedIn or a blog post, but not in front of an executive team. So you've got to constantly be sharpening the saw on that skill set. Oh. And the third thing I would just say is get started and be bold. Don't wait, get started, right? That's part of why I think having those examples out there are to give you an indication that, hey, I could do something. I know so many people that were just, they didn't think they could do a particular job until somebody says, I think I can see you in that role. I think I could see you doing this, or this may be a talent. Have you ever thought about this? So that's what I've tried to do for people in my life is to really understand what are their strengths, help them understand their strengths, and to be bold and reach out. It's always a great thing. It hurts to lose talent. But it's always mm -hmm. great to see somebody step into a new challenge and to grow. And so likewise for myself, as I've looked for opportunities, I've tried to push myself into some places that sometimes weren't always comfortable, but mm -hmm. I knew it would allow me to grow. And so that's where I think being bold and then don't wait. Don't, don't wait, wait, be bold. And one thing I'm hearing from you is be comfortable in an uncomfortable situation. Be comfortable being uncomfortable. That's right. That's absolutely yeah. true. That's right. That's great advice. Thank you so much, Tony, for spending so much time with me today. Any last words before we close the podcast? No, I've really enjoyed this conversation. And it's, it's interesting to reflect back on some of these things that have been part of my career. And hopefully it'll help somebody listening to it. But thank you, James. Absolutely, it will. Thank you.